Please thank John Irwin. I, I, know, I know we said goodbye last week, and some, someone said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm like a bad cold. I just keep coming back, you know? So, hey, I have had a wonderful experience, as you know, but today we knew was coming. We knew... We didn't know when, but 33 months ago, you began a journey. And I only joined you for the last nine months of that journey. But I knew the very first time I preached to you that somebody was going to be very blessed to be the permanent pastor that God had called to this church. And I've loved on you, and you know how much I love this congregation. But I got to tell you, I love this family even more because... It tells me, once again, that God is faithful. Amen? Amen. And all this time that we've been praying, fasting, thinking, looking, planning, has culminated in the call to Scott Cagle to be our pastor. Now, you say our pastor, yes, because a part of me... I'm a part of you. He's my pastor now. Until I land somewhere else, I'm, I'm a part of this church from afar, as you know. But I love this place. And today, I want to read a passage of Scripture and pass this baton to him. You know, there was, there's baton passes literally throughout the Scriptures. Elijah to Elisha. All right? Moses to Joshua. And... Ultimately, the ultimate baton pass in the New Testament was Jesus Christ to his disciples. And so, you know that our pastor comes with great humility, faithfulness, a love for God's word and for you. And so, I want to read the scriptures that he's chosen to be a part of his ministry here as he steps foot into this pulpit for the first time as your pastor. Scott, I'm going to have you come on up here. And uh, this is not his installation service. There will be that later on this spring. But I want to, first of all, pass you this baton. And on it, it has this date, March 17th, 2013, and the scripture passage, Joshua 1, 8, and 9. And so I want to read that passage and dedicate this scripture and this day to the Lord and to bless you. Joshua 1, 8 and 9. And um, we have a tradition when we read scriptures in this church. So everybody stand up, please. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way proper, prosperous, and then you will have success. And verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me pray for you as you preach to us for the first time. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this man, for his obedience to you, to bring his family halfway across this country, to yield his life to serving the body of a Gura Bible Fellowship. Lord, we know there will be ups and downs and sideways turns, and this journey is one of great delight. There will be some adventure. There will be discouragement. But we know through it all that you're still the same sovereign God that has orchestrated and been in charge of this church and of his life and his family's life for all these many years. And so now it is with great delight, Lord, that we ask a prayer of blessing on him, that you would indeed help him to be strong and courageous. Lord, that he would delight in this book, and as he studies it and then shares what he studied with us, that, Lord, you would bless this church through the feeding and the teaching of this man. And as he comes now as our senior pastor, we welcome him because he is not only a child of the king and not just because of what he does, but because who he is in Christ. And so it's with those blessings that we bless him. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I've been just uh, so grateful for getting to know John, and he's been such a, a blessing to, to me personally, just in this whole process. He, I really consider uh, him a friend. In fact, we plan to continue staying in touch, and uh, I, we, I think we even have him on the calendar for a vacation this summer, so excited to have him back ongoing. He's been a true blessing to this church. I wanted to just start uh, just taking a second and just say thank you to a couple people, uh, starting with John, of course, but also... I want to make sure in this whole process, we, we take time to appropriately uh, thank the staff uh, that have been, I know you took some time last week and they stood up, but just wanted to, just for me personally, just thank them uh, for their service here. In fact, um, I was just reading this morning, just a verse that really came to mind when I was thinking of the staff here. It's Hebrews 6.10 says, for God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. I was just thinking of that verse for you guys and just your faithfulness. And uh, I know John's back here somewhere in the, in the back and Carolyn and just the entire staff team has really been uh, just faithful and stuck with it over the years here. And so you guys have been blessed to have that. Just wanted to point that out and say thank you uh, to the staff and the elder board as well and just their process and their faithfulness in all of this. And so making sure we take time just to say thank you to those guys as well. For my family, we're just grateful for just the, the process that this has been. You guys have been so welcoming to us, like unbelievable, just off the charts. I was, I was thinking through, and it's impossible for me to thank everybody that's been so kind to us. We started getting mail like uh, in the last month, like daily, uh, like lots of letters. And uh, I, at first I had this aspiration to like return thank you notes. Nope, sorry. I'm just doing that collectively. You are loved. Thank you uh, very much for your, for your welcome. I was thinking through different people that have just bent 
over backwards. Ben and Sue Whirl, if they're here, they, they uh, hosted us in their home when we first got here. And our three crazy little kids uh, run, running around. And uh, Brent and Jen, Jennifer Miller, they, they came over and helped me make, make beds of our Ikea furniture. And, uh, and so what, what a blessing, uh, blessing they were. Mary Jo and Leslie coming over and planting flowers at our place just to make it look nice aesthetically. And just uh, while we were there watching and teaching me about plants. And uh, we, don't, we don't have many of those in Chicago this time of year. And, uh, and then uh, uh, John Spock, I don't know if he's here, took me to a Clippers game on Wednesday uh, night, which was uh, fun. I, I'm not changing from the Bulls yet, and so holding on to that. But, but just, just so many people. Uh, I, Carolyn Brookman was so kind just in, in kind of orchestrating this book, this welcome book for our, our kids was fantastic. They've really felt so included and, and loved in this process. And I could just keep going down the list. So many people. Uh, one thing stood out, uh, Casey Chandler had, uh, I think the Awana crew made some cards. And I came into my office on, uh, Mon- what day was that? Wednesday. And uh, came into all these little sweetly made cards. Try God. All right. Uh, John John 3.16. And this particular one was from uh, Cassie. I don't know who Cassie is, but excited to meet her. And she included a $2 bill in there. And so so, uh, I'm going to get a 401k started real soon here. And so... Just, just grateful for the extra mile that, that everybody has gone just to making us feel at, at home and just grateful for that. Want to just real quickly, if it's okay with you guys, just have my family. You saw a picture, but one of my family to come up uh, and get a chance to meet them uh, directly. If you guys want to come on up here and say hi. And so, so uh, first off... <laughs> First off, my, my wife, Adrian, who you guys have all met, uh, she's been fantastic through this whole process. You're going to love uh, getting to know her. She's a, a wonderful support. We have a, a great marriage, 14 years. We just had our anniversary on Valentine's Day. And, uh, and then um, the 14 on the 14th. And, uh, and then this is Chase, our oldest. Chase, can you say hi to everybody? And uh, he's excited to be here. This is Alexa. Alexa, can you say hi? <laughs> and, uh, and then Sienna is our youngest, and so we're, we're just all thrilled. They went straight from uh, nine inches of snow into summertime, so they're, <laughs> that's helping with the transition. Chase was having a hard t- time saying goodbye to some friends there, and, uh, and, they at, and he, was, he was crying to Adrian, and he, and he said to her, it's going to take like three weeks to make a new best friend. <laughs> and so, so we're already a weekend, so we're, uh, we're, we're, we're looking forward to that. Thank you guys for coming up. Well, we uh, wanted to also just thank some friends that are here from Chicago. My sister and her husband are here from Denver uh, just, to sit, just to welcome us. Maybe you guys can give a wave and say hi. They came in. Well, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be with you guys. As you can imagine, it's been a lot of, uh, of months of, of building, and God's been doing a work, and there's just so many things that I can point to of God's uh, handprint on this whole process, and just, just grateful for that, and just excited to see what kind of adventures we get into and how God's going to use this new partnership for His glory and for His honor. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. 
All right. Well, we're, we're going to uh, dive in this morning, but for me, I wanted to get it start by a chance to figure out who's in the room here this morning. And so I wanted to start with a little survey, and these are some pretty serious questions I'm going to ask you guys to get to know you a little bit better and figure out who's in the room. And so as I mentioned one of these questions that represents you, if you could stand up and if more than one of them represents you, you can start by raising a hand, a right hand, then a left hand. And so does that make sense? So the first question, this is very important. Have you ever drawn a picture on an offering envelope? Anybody here ever drawn a picture on an offering envelope? Uh, all right, all right. Now, have you ever slept on a parent's lap in a pew? Have you ever slept on a parent's lap in a pew? All right, uh, all right. Have you, have you ever learned a Bible story from a flannel graph? Anybody ever learned a Bible story? All right, all right. Uh, ever sung from a hymnal? Maybe a few more people ever sung from a hymnal? Are we running out of arms yet? Or how about this one? Have you ever left a church service with no idea what the pastor just talked about? All right. Wait a second. I thought this was a Baptist church. It's charismatic. Look at all this. <laughs> well, you, you can go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, that's fun just thinking about a lot of us with a lot of uh, childhood memories growing up in the, in the church and in this environment and, and really blessed to have a lot of us with a church background. And, uh, and so, this morning, I was thinking as we start this new series just about, about my background and my life and as it relates to Christ, I would say that my, my high school years and kind of pre-college years uh, were filled with a, a lot of attending church, but, but not really embracing a, a faith of my own. And so the crossroads that I hit in my life uh, spiritually was between uh, my senior year of high school and going off to college. I really ha started asking some t tough questions because I, I came from an amazing family of, of Christ followers. My parents loved the Lord and, and came into that season and had to ask myself the tough question of, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that, that, that everybody's following, that everybody's so excited about, that, that people are, are, are giving up everything to follow? Who is this man? How is he different from other religious teachers of the, of the, the time? How, what sets him apart? And uh, what, what was it that made the disciples want to drop everything, give up everything to follow him? Who was this man? Who was this man? And I wrestled through that question, and, and during that season of life, it was, it was really a, a, a God thing, because the more I took steps to get to know who Jesus was, the more I was compelled to fully follow him with my life, to, to, to turn from, from the world around me and say, man, I just want to chase after Jesus fully. I want this, this faith thing to be my own, for it not to be something that's just passed down generational, that, it, that it's something that was my own. And that was the season that I got really serious about following him. And for us over the next couple weeks leading up to Easter, I want us collectively to, for many of us it's revisiting, to, but to go back to what this is all about, following Jesus, following Jesus. So we're gonna spend the next three to four weeks just looking at different snapshots from Jesus' life and seeing why he was so radical, why he was so set apart and why he's worth leaving everything to follow. Before we dive into our text this morning, if you'll join me in prayer. 
God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to pause in our week in the chaos of, of life and come together with a group of people that, that are like-minded, that love you, and to study your word, God. It's so practical and so good to us. We thank you for your life, for your example. We pray now as we dive into this text, God, in the, in the book of John, that you'd be honored in our, our, in our study of you, studying your life and how it, how it impacts our life here today. God, we just pray that now that there be less of me and more of you in this room, that you'd speak to us. God, we ask, we invite you into this place. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, we're going to be looking at the, a chapter in the book of John. And so if you guys have your Bible with you, and uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, make a friend next to you and share. And, uh, and uh, just so you guys know, that's going to be kind of part of the culture here is digging into God's word, if everybody's okay with that. And so, uh, so let's, let's make that a part of our routine. I think there's pew Bibles if you don't have one. Uh, I probably, just so you know, I probably won't put texts up on screen very often, so that'll force you to bring your own book and, and dig in. Does that sound okay? And so, uh, now I know the tradition has been started where we stand when we read God's word, but for this, the sake of this, we're going to be going to a couple different passages working through, and so when I read everything collectively together, we'll stand, but uh, for, this, for the sake of this, when I'm kind of going verse by verse, I'm not going to uh, make you sit and stand too many times or we'll be in a Catholic church, and, uh, and, so, and, uh, and so we're just going to stay uh, here, and I'll just start by reading in the text, we're in John 13 in the first uh, verses there. And the reason we're choosing this passage is because it points the aspect of how radical Jesus is and that he served selflessly. He served selflessly. And this text here uh, today paints an amazing picture of the servant attitude that he was starting here in verse one, that he was compelled by love. Take a look in verse one. It says, now before the feast of the Passover... I'm in the ESV, we'll mix it up a little bit. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Let's pause there for a second. I have a question. If you could know when you were gonna actually die, would you want to know that? Would you want to know the day, the hour, the time, how it was going to happen? I was thinking about that this week, and I personally would, I prefer not knowing. Anybody else in that camp? You're okay? Like, I'm okay. I like a bus, that would be great. Like, I don't know when it's going to happen. Not really. Uh, but, but like, I, I enjoy the fact of not knowing because I think the anxiety of, of knowing the, the countdown clock, although we all have that countdown clock, would be just kind of overwhelming. And, and so, but, but Jesus, we see here as we begin the, the text, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he didn't have the luxury of ignorance. He knew exactly that what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, and it was racing upon him. As this text, as this is uh, being described here, this is one day from his death. And I find it fascinating that just before his sacrifice of his life, that the thing that consumed him most, he wasn't, he wasn't wrapped up with his looming execution, he was consumed with the people that he loved. He was consumed with the people that he loved. It described them in the text here, as it said, his own, focused on loving his own. 
I love that description. I love clinging to that picture of being his own. If anyone here in this room has, has turned from their sin and by faith embraced Jesus' death as payment for their sins, you fall in that camp. You fall in that camp of his own. And I love what it describes there as what he, what he did for his, end, for his own. He says that he loved them to the very end. Isn't that a cool thought? Just the picture of Jesus Christ saying all the way to the very last hours. And MacArthur pointed out the fact that the, uh, that, that the end here doesn't necessarily just mean timeline like the end. But it's also the, referring to the fullest measure of love. He loved them to the fullest. It wouldn't be possible to love them more, his disciples. But the encouraging thing, and maybe some of you just showed up this morning and this is the only thing you needed to hear, that he loves each one of us. If you're his own, he loves you with completeness to the very end. You can't run fast enough. You can't, you can't hide well enough to get away from his love for you. He loves you. It's extreme. And we're going to see in the text that his love moves him to action. It moves him to start meeting the needs of his people. His love moves him to action. I got to see this personally, just a, a glimpse of his love. When we were arriving on, uh, on Saturday night, we had this game plan in place with our, our, our three kids, our eight pieces of, of, of luggage, uh, showing up at the Chicago Midway, heading to LAX. We thought to ourselves, well, we want to be careful. We don't want to put the important documents that we have just in the regular stuff, the luggage that you check, right? So we said, you know, we're just going to have these two carry-on bags and we keep every bit of like important information that we have. My, my wife is Canadian, if you guys don't know that. I call her Canadian. And, uh, and so, and, uh, and she, uh, she, ha she has all of her green card stuff. She's legal. Uh, and, uh, and she had all of her green card stuff, so our pa kids' passports, like uh, anything, like our bank statements we had in these two bags next to us. And my wife pointed out, in addition to that, that uh, after cleaning our place leaving Chicago, that she had taken her wedding ring and off because her finger was getting irritated from the soap stuff. I don't know, ladies, maybe you do this. Uh, but, but she put it on the inside of her coat pocket and so we arrive at, at LAX and we, we get there. We're getting all the luggage thing off the conveyor belt. We're getting things loaded up. John Nungester picks us up there in the minivan. We all pile in. We're excited to be here. We're excited that there's no snow on the ground. We get the, the, the hour back to where we're staying at the world's house. And, and Adrian, we come inside and she's like, where's that bag that had like our, our, our documents and stuff in it? And uh, I'm like, oh, I'm sure it's in here somewhere. I wouldn't have forgotten that. We look around, and can you believe it? We left it. We left it at LAX. We left it there in the, in the terminal, uh, just sitting there uh, nicely, I'm sure, uh, with handles ready to carry. And, uh, and so we start frantically, like, searching the web, trying to find the lost and found uh, there at LAX. And at 1.30 in the morning, there was nobody picking up the phone. And so I, I, uh, I hopped in the car and uh, started driving to LAX, and uh, I may have broken a speed limit, I'm not sure, um, and, uh, and arrive at LAX, and I, I break all the, the rules of don't leave your car running right outside of the airport, just go running in frantically, and the, the, f the funny thing uh, is, so we show up at Lost and Found, and I'm like... Did you find any duffel bags? You know, like just this panic in my, in my voice. And the, la the lady that's standing is like, oh, I think these are yours. And she comes walking out and it was like a, uh, like a glow off of the bags. You're like, uh, 
a, like, a, like a light from heaven, for, like God, God provided. And the funny thing is, my, my little girls had, uh, they had set on the top of the bags, they had one of those Build-A-Bears. Do you know what those are? Like their favorite little Build-A-Bears on top of the bags. And the lady said, oh, we knew when we saw those bears that a girl couldn't go without her bears. Uh, and I was like, you have no idea how little I care about that Build-A-Bear. <laughs> but... Uh, but, uh, but it, was, it was definitely, it was, it was God's provision. And, and when we slow down enough to recognize that the stories of God's serving aren't just in scripture, they're in the present day, it's an awesome thing. When we start to recognize that all good gifts are from above, like, man, it changes everything. And so here in the, in the text, we're starting to see that, that what compelled Jesus to serve, what compelled him was love. That's what compelled him. Now, I have a question to ask us something, is what compels us to serve? What compels us to serve? What are the things that move us, that compel us to serve? I was thinking through some things that, that, that can be in negative areas that can compel us to serve if we're not careful. We can end up finding ourselves serving out of duty because we feel like we're still trying to earn favor from God from something, trying to earn or, or I, I don't know what, what does that, but duty. Pride is a dangerous thing that compels our service. This, this savior complex that I, I've got it all together. I need to go meet their needs. Like that's not healthy. Or another one I was thinking of this week is, is guilt, is guilt. The Wana commander has been bugging me for so long to serve, I have to do it. Like, I, I can't get away from him. And, uh, no offense, Casey. <laughs> and, uh, but this whole people-pleasing mentality, this, this idea that, that what, what compels you to serve? And, and, and I, I think it's a healthy thing to ask that question. Like, when, when you're looking through your week and where you're showing up to serve in different capacities, What's motivating yourself? I know I have to pause on my drive to different things. All right, God, what, what's moving me to do this? What's compelling that? Asking those questions. And maybe not just what compels you to serve. It, the, the, the second question, does your love move you to service? Does your love move? So what compels you to serve? But then the second question, does your love actually move you to service? A lot of us can say like, yes, I love my wife. I love my family, love my kids. But does that love actually move us to serve them? Would your wife say about you as a husband? Yeah, man, I, I see that he loves me because the way that he serves me faithfully. Does your love move you to service? So Jesus setting the example, being compelled by love. The next section here, we see that he served with humility. Verse two says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Pause there for a second. I know a lot of us have heard this section of scripture many times, read it many times, but there's some things that, that jumped out to me. The first thing in verse three is seeing, seeing the picture that John paints, recognizing the, that who it is that's doing this act of service. 
who it is that the person that's been given all things, the person that, that rules over all, God in an earth suit is the one serving here, the one that spoke things into existence, the one that made things and sustains things. That is who's serving the people there. It's unbelievable if you think about it. I was thinking about the fact that he's getting down and actually cleaning a foot that he came up with a design idea. He designed it, made it. I was reading about the foot this week, a couple of fascinating things uh, about the foot. Do you know that there's, there's 26 bones in your foot? That there is 20, 25% of all of your bones in your body are in your foot. I thought that was interesting. That, that it it's fulfills so many functions as a shock absorber, that it prop, propels us, that there's 33 joints just in your foot alone. Over 100 different muscles in our foot each part playing a critical role in the, the movement from side to side, balancing us, keeping us from falling over, like all these things. The designer, the creator made the foot. And now he's here on earth, humbling himself, taking off his outer garment, wrapping it, a towel around his waist, going around foot to foot to foot, cleaning feet. Now, as, as, as cool as the design is of the foot, feet are, let's be honest, they're kind of gross, right? Feet are kind of gross. In fact, when I, I first started dating my wife, here's a, maybe uh, too much information. Um, <laughs> so we were both interns at Willow Creek Community Church. This was 15 years ago. And uh, we actually got paired up in ministry, which was a God-ordained thing. And uh, there was some kind of an exercise uh, at the church where they actually had a, a foot-washing thing. And I'm thinking, hey, this is kind of cool because I got paired up with Adrian. I'm washing her foot, taking my time. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and then she, it was a return thing. It was really awkward. We probably won't ever do one of these things in our church. Um, and so, so I take my sock off and she starts, uh, she washed my foot, which was weird, you know? And so, but I was like, hey, this is cool. Like, she's great. And, uh, and, uh, but then later I come to find out, she tells me, I don't know how much uh, later this was. She told me that, that she was at a crossroads, whether she was going to continue dating me or not at that point, just because of the grossness of my foot. And, uh, and, uh, and I thought hers looked great. <laughs> and, uh. And so whether the design is fantastic or not, feet are still pretty much gross, right? And so imagine, so that's a nice, well-manicured foot that I'm referring to. Maybe not. Uh, but imagine the disciples' foot. Do you think fishermen had well man? Do you think they got the, the toa cures? What are those called? Pedicure? You like that? That's a new, that's a, I just made that up. And, um, and so clearly I haven't done that. Um, do you think they had nice feet? Do you think they were getting kind of grimy, kind of gross? They weren't walking on sidewalks like we do. They weren't, uh, didn't have nice socks on their feet. What, what kind of shoe would they wear? Oh, so very much like California. Uh, and, and, uh, and so at the end of a long day, do you think feet were kind of getting to be kind of ripe and gross? And uh, that, that was the case here, I imagine. A typical uh, guest house would have somebody, a slave, that wouldn't be a Jewish slave, uh, so a non-Jewish slave, that was the first thing as someone entered a home, that they would, that they would clean their feet and wouldn't want that job. And here they are, they're on the Last Supper, and Jesus, the creator of the universe, 
The God that sustains us, the one that gave us life, is there washing feet. I wonder if it was the elephant in the room where there wasn't the servant to clean the feet and everybody's like, man, it's getting kind of gross in here and this small room with bad feet and there's Jesus saying, I'm gonna meet that need. I'm gonna set the example to you all. And that's what our God did. And then, what I, as I was thinking about this, which blows your mind even more, who all is in that room? What other person might be in that room that you wouldn't wanna be washing their feet? How about Judas? How about Judas? Can you imagine the, the, the man that was about to betray you for a few bucks the next day, the man that you've invested years into, that you've poured your life into, the man that's been stealing from your ministry for the last three years, you're gonna humble yourself as creator God to wash his feet? Unbelievable. That's why Jesus is radical. That's why Jesus is radical, that he served with humility. He wasn't, he wasn't consumed with, with the, the, uh, the fact that he was creator God. I, I love Philippians 2, 3 through 8. If you guys want to turn with me there just briefly, it describes this picture of who Jesus is. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, listen to this, verse six, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's our Jesus. That's radical Jesus. That's who we're following. That's who we can get excited about getting behind that man, getting behind that man and, and following him. The one, the, the one that chose to get down on his knees and serve humbly. Man, I'll tell you what, as I was thinking about that, like it's so easy in this world based on like experiences and achievements to allow that, that pride thing to sneak in, right? Thinking about yourself like, well, I did this, I accomplished that, or, or my, my business did this. Like that, that pride thing just, just sneaks itself in. A great reminder, man, our, the, only way, the only area that we should boast, the only area is in Jesus our Lord, the only person that's worthy of boasting, Jesus our Lord. Great reminder as we continue in our week. Continuing in the passage, we see not only did he serve, uh, was he compelled by love, he served with humility. We also see that he understood the bigger picture, that he understood the bigger picture. Verse six, it says this, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. <laughs> Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Love that. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. 
I think it's fascinating there, the, uh, what Peter's response. I, I love he's just like, do you wash my feet? Like he understood the whole idea of a superior washing an inferior's feet. Like uh, on a smaller scale, picture the CEO of a company going down to the, you name the role, lower on the totem pole, going down and washing a feet just didn't make sense. In Jewish culture or Roman culture, it was unheard of. So, G- so Peter, rightfully so, we can understand that, was, was a little bit confused in the moment. But I love what Jesus said to him. He says, you, 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 he says uh, why I'm doing this, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. I was thinking about those words, how many times when we're in the moment, we have no idea what God is doing. Anybody been in that? Where God is asking us to be obedient, to trust him, take steps forward. I don't know where this is going, but just trusting. And this is the same thing that Jesus was asking of Peter. He's saying, you gotta just trust me. Trust me that that right now, this is confusing to you. This doesn't make sense. But someday, this will make sense. Maybe that's a a word that some of you needed to hear even this morning. You're going through a, a season of trial and you're like, God, where are you in all of this? How's this, how's this gonna play out? How's this gonna work? It doesn't make sense in my mind. But the same invite that Jesus makes to Peter, you should, that, that afterwards, you're gonna understand. Some of us, as we get a little bit older, can look back across the horizon of your life and start to see God's faithfulness time and time again. Where in the middle of those circumstances, you're like, I don't know how this is gonna play out, but isn't God faithful? He meets you at your point of need. He's not usually early. He's, he's never late. He's always just perfectly on time. It says right afterward, and, and he uses this as a, as a teaching opportunity. I love watching Jesus' life because so much of his time was spent, like he'll, he'll do something radical and then he'll use it as a teaching moment, right? And so he explains to him, he explains the simple explanation that, that the bathing here is a metaphor for salvation. The idea that, yes, you, you may be cleaned as a big picture, like, but then he, he has the little caveat, caveat that uh, not everyone is clean. It even tells you in the text that it's rever- referring to Judas. Not everyone is clean, but the whole idea that you've been cleaned. But I thought it was interesting that, that he said there, except for his feet, except for his feet. The idea there is the idea of repentance is a healthy part of the Christian life. You might big picture, be clean. That's the whole salvation thing. You've gotten right with God. You've, there's a point in your life where you've turned from your sin. You've embraced his death as payment for your sin. Yes, you've got your, your wash cleaned. But I love that he says, uh, the, the, uh, reminds us of the idea, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. The idea of repentance being such a critical part of of keeping a a healthy and dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you guys noticed that even in your marriage relationships, how important that is? To when you blow it, taking time, slow down and be like, I messed up. That happens regularly, right, Adrian? I, I say very often, like, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. That tone was unnecessary. Like, and it's so fascinating to me how even in the context of a marriage, like those little pauses to, to own our junk and to admit when we've messed up, it, it, does, it does wonders. It does wonders. It softens hearts. Like we're, we're, we're easy to forgive when somebody takes the time keeping a clean slate. The same is true with our relationship with God, making sure that we're taking time to clean our feet. So, uh, 
So I think another thing as I was thinking about this, how hard it must have been for Peter to receive service. Anybody else like this? It's hard to be served, right? It's hard to have somebody else do something that you're typically used to doing. I don't know if it's a, a pride thing or what, what, what it is that, that does that. But, but this week I had an experience like that where um, Brent and Jennifer came over uh, to our house and I had bought these uh, sweet Ikea bed because they make really nice furniture. Um, sarcasm. Um, and so we had bought a, a new Ikea bed for our kid, for my son. And, uh, but then I was, I was in and out of the office and, and just just not able to, I mean, there was a lot going this week, as you can imagine. And I was just like, man, I'd love him to have a bed to sleep on, but like, I, I can't do this right now. And, uh, and so we, we found out that, that they chose to come over and just serve us like that to just like, Hey, we'll assemble this bed. Like that's torture. And I don't think he even looked at uh, the instructions. He just did it like that. <laughs> the, uh, no, but, but I, I felt like there's a piece of me that as he's doing that, I was like, man, do I have to turn in my, my man card right now? Because like, because like guys are supposed to assemble things, right? And, uh, and so, but there's something about this that, that not only we, are we asked to trust in God's sovereignty, we need to allow him to provide for us daily. We need to embrace his daily provision, accept his sovereignty, embrace his daily provision. Jesus was a perfect example of that. So we see as we continue, not only did he understand the bigger picture, but in verse 12, and this is what I love about Scripture, is that he set a practical example to follow. He set a practical example to follow. Verse 12 says this, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Peter's like, Nope. <laughs> you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, get this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. He explains it really clearly. He explains that if I, as creator God, the, the Jesus Christ, am serving you doing this, you can't not do the same for each other. You can't not do that. Otherwise, you're, you're elevating yourself above me. If I'm able to get that low, then you need to get that low as well. Does that make sense? He's saying like, you, you can't hear these things, you can't see this, you can't experience this and not do the same. I was thinking about that just practically like, man, when we're not serving each other, when we're not doing a good, a, a good job of loving each other and elevating each other's needs above our own, what are we in fact doing? We're elevating ourselves above God. Maybe unintentionally, but there's a flaw in that. That's a problem, Right? And so the, the, the challenge here is, is like, hey, let's not just read about it. Let's not just see it in the text. Let's do it. Let's figure out how in this next week, what it would look like for us to put on, to, to take off our, our cloak, maybe the who we are positionally, take off our cloak, wrap a towel around us and start looking to serve. Start looking to serve in the, the place that God's placed you, the environment that you're in, the workplace that you're in. What would that look like? might look like making some, thing, some, some choices that aren't financially viable for you. Imagine that. 
Making a choice that maybe costs you money instead of makes you money. What about that? What, what would it look like if we started putting the, taking the time to, to talk to somebody that maybe on the rank of things you wouldn't typically talk to? What would it look like for us to wash the feet around us? Maybe not literally, but what would it look like to wash the feet around us? I don't know. That's my prayers that you would struggle with that this week. Wrestle through. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're elevating ourselves above Christ. That's not good. But I know that fully this is one of those things that it doesn't come naturally. We're, we're in a world that's obsessed with love, but so confused about love, right? We're obsessed with it, but completely confused about it. We have this idea of the like, man, I, I do things because it benefits me. I do this because I'm gonna, I'm gonna gain from this. But Jesus is saying, there's a different way to do life. There's a way that's, that's radical. There's a way that, that changes everything. What would this valley look like if this church or this group of people started rolling up their sleeves and just serving, meeting each other's needs, meeting needs of the, their neighbors, going, you know what I mean? What if, what if you all treated the average person that you come across as well as, as you've treated Adrian and I coming in? If there's that degree of like, hey, let me just see how I can help, how I can serve. Man, God could do some awesome things. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we thank you for your word and just the practicality of it, how it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, that you're not content with leaving us the way that we are, that you're involved in changing us and transforming us and making us to be more like yourself. I pray that even going into this week that we would get out of the way of that process, that we wouldn't fight that, but that we'd embrace that, that we chase after you a, a servant that's worth following. God, we know that we can't do that on our own strength. We need your spirit to empower us. We're excited to see what that might look like going into this week ahead if you were to do a work in each one of us. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys. Exciting to see how God's gonna work here. I wanted to invite up the, the elders. We're gonna start uh, as a, a new tradition here at ABF, just making them available for prayer at the end of each service. So if there's ever something that, we talked about this on Thursday night, they've spent a lot of time putting their energy towards search and all that stuff. They'd really love to turn a corner and just start, look for opportunities to serve and love on you guys. And so if there's ever something at the end of a service that you that's weighing heavy on you, you'd like to be prayed for, they're gonna be available here in the front. I pray you guys have a wonderful week and you serve like Jesus.